Well, I'm Helen Morgan and um, I'm trained as a Jungian analyst. I work now in private practice, but my background is in um, therapeutic communities with adolescents and with adult mental health. I teach, I supervise, I've headed up a number of, of our professional bodies, but I'm heading for retirement now, so that's where I'm slowly, slowly getting there. I think my message really is I speak, I'm, I started off writing quite a bit about race and the more, the, as I've gone on over the years, I've gone, written much, much less about black people and, and, and race and, and much more talking about whiteness because that's the important thing. That's that white people, whiteness has got to explore us. We've got to explore ourselves. And, um, and that's very uncomfortable. It's not, it's, it's actually a lifelong task and it's not easy. We don't have the resilience. We have this thing called white fragility, uh, which isn't weak at all. It's, it's, it's ways of holding on to our privilege. So, I, you know, if you want a comfortable time, don't come to my talk. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it, I, I, but if you do come to my talk, then I'd ask if you come as openly as possible and, and think about it, because also white people can get very defensive there's a lot of whataboutism, why aren't we talking about sex or gender or sexuality, you know, disability, all sorts of things. The, the, we have in various ways of, of defending ourselves against it. But it's it's about, my argument is, as I said, is that, that we suffer from this too. Um, and, and this is just one way of perhaps beginning opening up that, that concept of whiteness and how we work with it. So tell us about your talk. Your talk at the conference is going to be on whiteness, a problem for our times. So for people who are new to this or people who have heard the term but aren't quite sure what it means, yeah, what is whiteness? To start with, um, nobody on this planet is actually white. Um, and no, just as nobody on the planet is actually black, even the darkest or the fairest of us. We're all shades, hues of skin colour. And in the 17th century, I think it seems to be dated back to when the first Africans started to arrive on the shores of um, Virginia, uh, the white uh, slave owners and the, the people who are managing the plantations uh, were concerned that the um, what was then indentured labour, which is whites, Europeans, Irish, etc., had been brought over to work the plantations before the before the African, the enslaved Africans arrived, who were living on they were practically slaves. They were on tiny bits of money and and couldn't move anywhere, but they weren't actually slaves. The indentured Europeans, and what they were concerned about, I think, was that they, the the natural gathering together would be between the indentured white Europeans and the African slaves in terms of class and um, power. So to prevent that, really, the concept of white and black was brought in to, to, to split them. And certain privileges were given to the whites uh, to, to raise them above the uh, enslaved Africans, ensuring that, that, that sort of class solidarity couldn't take place. Um, and that's really gone on since then. So, and it's been used in different ways, but it's, it's got the same real economic power, colonization, capitalism, that sort of division uh, that has gone on to the present day of this really very crude, very 
stupid split really between white and black but also it's such a such a powerful split and over the centuries and in different places where that line is drawn has moved between so sometimes Jews for example have been considered black uh certainly southern Europeans uh, it, it has moved about where actually the line is drawn but always so if you're in the white camp then you then there is a certain privilege that comes with that uh, uh, that you don't have if you're in the black camp, the so-called black camp. The issue of white privilege then is key, isn't it? So let's talk a bit about white privilege and from a white person's perspective, a recognition of white privilege as a thing and how it gets in the way of being anti-racist. So can you can you expand on that a little bit for us? Well, first of all, I think the term privilege is a very problematic one. If you're white working class in a, you know, struggling at the moment to get food on the table or heat your heat kids, heat your rooms for your kids, I guess the t- idea that you're privileged is is pretty, you know, uh, <laughs> appalling. Um so it's a very problematic term um, and people have used sometimes white advantage, that sort of thing. It, it's people use different things. The, the, the point is, is that you you do you can do all that, but you don't have the added layer of racism. That's the that the so if you like, black people are unprivileged, if there is such a word, by not being white. Um, so it's 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 for it's the things we take for granted, um, which includes not even really thinking of ourselves as white. Um, uh, it's it's sort of a solipsism. It seems seen as um, that's the sort of natural order of the thing. Black people have to think about it. Brown people, yellow people, but not white people. And that's part of our privilege to take it for granted uh, that we will see in places of high of power on televisions, on films, the really interesting roles go to the white people. Uh, black people have usually stereotyped, at least in the past, very stereotyped in terms of music, crime, sort of thing. We um, expect our, our systems of law, education, health, etc., to to not discriminate against us in any way. I don't mean we always get a great service. I just mean it's not if we get a bad service, it's not because we're of the colour of our skin. And we take that for granted. That's our privilege. It's a sort of, it's a sort of silent thing. It's, it's almost there by its absence. If we don't notice it, um, we don't even have to think about race if we don't want to. Um, you can go through this life as a white person, never thinking about race, apart from occasional Black Lives Matter protests, which you can agree with or tut tut about. You know, it's it's not a a live issue like it has to be for a black person in this society, in Western societies. Can you tell us a bit about your own personal journey in relation to whiteness and recognition of white privilege, just to kind of explain to us how on a personal level this can work? Well, I, I did come from a very middle class white family not at all actively racist in views, although I did grow up in days of gollywogs and black and white minstrels and that sort of thing. Um, and it was only when I started traveling, really, I went, I did the hippie trail out to in through Asia, and I began to see um, that what that 
my world, my way of being was just one of many. Um, it wasn't the right one and everything else was um, interestingly bizarre and different. It was just, mine was as bizarre and different. In my book, I talk about a time when I, um, we're waiting in Hong Kong to get visas to go into China. And we go to the cinema and we see uh, a, a film which would have been very much on Sunday afternoon, B-movie television then, the sort of thing. And the films we would have seen about the opium wars would have had handsome white um, soldiers uh, in, in very beautiful red coats and things, fighting these dastardly Asian, um, ugly, uh, uh, inscrutable uh, Asians. And our chaps would have won and it would have all been heroic. I mean, I'm talking about bad movies here and I'm talking uh, 70s. And in the cinema, it was the same war, uh, but it was a Chinese film. And all the Chinese soldiers were handsome and brave. <laughs> and the English were fat and eating meat and horrible. And, and they lost. Um, and it was like... I know it's a silly thing, but I was just sort of blown away by how one has a narrative, one's given a narrative about the way the world is and who the good guys and who the bad guys are. And this was a, just turned it completely. Uh, this was a different narrative. And it, it wasn't just that, of course, it was meeting lots of different cultures and different people. And I began to see how blind I'd been really, how narrow my world was, how little I understood about, about the world I grew up in and, and therefore about myself. Um, and I wanted to explore more really. Um, and I came back and began to see just how, uh, I suppose, the history of colonialism, British, British rule, I began to think about how we we became and are practically still on top of the world hierarchies and you know what that meant and and made me really re-examine a lot of my own thinking and assumptions and where are we now then thinking about how black history is taught in schools and the curriculum that we have in universities here in the UK where are we now do you think in our kind of journey towards where we need to be um well I think I think it's an interesting time I think it's a very interesting time and I'm very I, I think Black Lives Matter has made a huge difference actually I think it's it's not we've had times like this and things erupt and and then they die down down again and the sort of the order is established um I think for some reasons I I guess I guess it's timing some, somehow, but what, where with the death of George Floyd and the the response to it across the world, it it brought it, there was a sense I think of people have had enough that this isn't, and I think a lot of white people felt began to feel we've had enough um, that we that we're actually we're suffering from this as well, not in any way like black people suffer from it. I'm not at all equating it, but it's not it's not healthy for any of us. And of course, I think the the the, the white right um, has got has 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 reacted to the response um, in terms of this anti woke all this stuff that's that's going on at the moment. 
I always, I, I have been thinking, I come from Bristol, and so the toppling of the Colston statue in Bristol was, which I used to, I mean, there, when I was 16, there was campaigns to try and remove Colston. Um, this is not a new thing at all. So to see him toppled was, for me, a great thing. But I think for a lot of white people, there's an identification with the statue and the terror that actually black people are gonna rise up and topple us into the harbor, Bristol Harbor. Um, it's certainly very strong in America where they're, they're, the white people are gonna be in the minority in not very long time. Um, so there's a sort of fighting going on, I think, um, which is expressed through anti-wokeism and, 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 and on one side and the real attempt to re-examine the national trust um you know looking at our statues what we our own history which which is terrible i mean our colonial history in terms of slavery was the suffering this country caused and that that's the past but it most of the wealth of this country um is built on that that slavery um or a lot of it and I just think there's like, I think even like the, uh, the, the Williams and Kate's visit to the Caribbean recently, there's, there's something about the Jamaicans saying, <laughs> we're not having this anymore. It's it, the, the old world order is really being challenged at the moment. And, um, it, and it's not going to die easily. There will be a fight back, a backlash. So let's talk about that. You say that if we want to dismantle racism in society, many people must first let go of their privilege and their power. Can you give us some examples of that happening, some tangible examples, or also thinking into the future of what you think needs to happen? Well, um, I think in terms of actual changes, if we look at some of the ways in which black people are disadvantaged, um, Take the there's some awful statistics about um, childbirth and black women black, um, that, are, that are quite appalling. Never mind the number of black people in the proportion of black people in prisons or um, the lack of services and mental health, all those sort of things. It's where it, it's no good us white people just tut tutting and saying that's a bad thing. We, we need to sort of really look, take on these institutions and look at what we might have to give up. Now, I'm not, I'm obviously in something like childbirth, it's not saying, oh, well, what some white women have got to suffer in order that the, the black women are, are better well treated. There are certain things where we need to think about, well, what, what is going on here? Where are the resources going? Why, why is this happening? What need? And it, it means that we may have to give some things up white people might have to give something up. If we're looking at, for example, black, the proportion of black people who reach top management jobs, if we're going to really seriously take on the task of looking at why that happens, seeing how systemically we can change that, that structure, it will mean less white people having top management jobs. There will have to be things we give up. And I think, I think that's where we have to really examine what what it is how far will we go as white people to, to let go 
can we talk about a practical example of that? Um, because I think there are lots of different approaches, aren't there? And obviously saying, you know, let's have diversity and inclusion in our employment practices. An example that is often cited is the football manager example, where in the Premier League, I'm just trying to think of a colloquial, <laughs> easy to understand example. In the Premier League, we have one black manager out of 20 teams. Last year, we had no black managers out of 20 teams. And this is a problem which is really well documented, that um, people work in grassroots football, um, they move up, but they can't get these top jobs. And so one solution that's been suggested is to have a black manager on every single interview panel. Um, that kind of positive discrimination approach versus you know, the system becoming fairer. What would you favor in terms of those sorts of issues? Would you like to see that kind of inclusion to actually overcome these barriers um yes I think so because I think I think in a way I'm, I'm more interested in the cricket but um uh, Yorkshire Cricket Club and it's not just Yorkshire I mean you've also I think you've got to do a number of things you can put the one black person in um you've got to be very careful they're not the token black person who has who doesn't solve it all You've also got to address the attitudes of the white people in there. That's why I've been focusing very much on whiteness and what are our attitudes. So perhaps the Yorkshire Cricket Club, whatever their system is for, for, for managing it, I mean, they're pretty um, antiquated characters, it seems to me, about that. But but they will go on um, ensuring that, that very few Asian uh, guys or black guys, black guys get to the... Play for the play for Yorkshire because they will find ways, not necessarily always consciously, um, to prevent it. So you you you've got to. I think there's got to be more representation, um, but you've also got to do a lot of work with the the other white people as to are these black people really going to be allowed to have an effect? It, it it's not unsimilar to the way women. Um, where women are with it, but um, and you know, having been the token woman on various panels, um, you can see the forces that work to make sure you are you aren't actually made powerless. And I think a lot of black people, a lot of black people, are refusing to take up that role. Um, I think I think we've got to do much more examination of ourselves as white people. Um, I don't think just taking saying I, I'm an anti-racist is 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 enough um because it's such a system that I don't, I don't to say I am not racist in the system is is pointless it doesn't doesn't mean anything um so we've got to do quite a lot of work on our own our own thinking our own the inevitable racist thoughts that will come into our mind we have to do some work around that we have to do a lot of thinking about language um, in my profession, for example, the word primitive is still used a lot. And, you know, the, the roots of that are, are very suspect. Um, not, not even suspect, they, they're pretty appalling. Um, it, it's, it's a lot of work. And I, what worries me, although I think it's right, you know, I was trying to answer your question, for, the, for black representation to be there, unless white people do the work, it'll make no difference at all. Unless we examine what our privilege is, where it is, um, how, how it operates, 
uh, we, we will just find ways of making sure that, it, that nothing happens, nothing really changes. Thank you.